Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, where Josh read for us. This morning's text is actually verses 14 through 21. I asked Josh to read us 10 through 13 to set the table for where we'll be this morning. We covered those verses last week. And the premise from that was that seeing is not believing. In, Christ, in the Christian faith, sight does not birth faith. It is seeing what, or, or believing in what we do not see, as Hebrews 11 chapter 1 tells us. And so this morning, we're going to pick up from this interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And we're going to continue now and we're going to watch him interact with his disciples. And as I said last Sunday... We have two passages here, 11 through 13 and 14 through 21, that are negative in their perspective. They are negative in that they instruct us how not to be, how not to live out the Christian faith that we profess to have. You know, let me, let me tell you, the, the human condition, we, we are fallen. And the human condition is prone to slide into a mindset of familiarity breeds contempt. That phrase, familiarity breeds contempt, is defined like this. It is having extensive knowledge of or a close association with someone that leads us to a loss of respect and appreciation for them. Familiarity breeds contempt. We become so familiar with something or someone that we cease to appreciate it and value them rightly. And there are moments in life when it's good for us to pause and ask questions such as, do I have familiarity with someone or something that has bred contempt in my heart towards them and I no longer take them for face value? We could ask this question about our relationship with our spouses. We're so familiar with her that we take her for granted. Parents have children and parents have parents. Have we taken our relationship with our parents to a level of familiarity that we no longer revere them and appreciate them and love them? The same could be asked for brothers and sisters. Are we so familiar with a sister that we take her for granted and it has bred contempt in our hearts towards her? Likewise for a brother. We could go on and on with employers, with congregations. Has, has, has there been a pastor that has taken his congregation for granted and he now holds them in contempt because he's so familiar with them? May it not be. Has a congregation become so familiar with a pastor that they hold them in content and no longer value them for what they are. A gift from the Lord, I trust and hope. Well, those are very important questions to ask. But there's a bigger one to ask than that. And that is, am I so familiar with Jesus Christ? My professed one and all that I hold him in contempt and I am so familiar with him that I no longer appreciate him and I no longer hold him in the high esteem that I once did and that the scriptures call me to, to do. This morning's text and this morning's message is designed to address that question. Are we too familiar 
with Jesus so that now we hold him in contempt and don't regard him rightly as we should. We're going to look at two things in this message this morning. The first is that Jesus is going to give an urgent warning to his disciples, and this urgent warning falls on deaf ears. And and the second thing that we're going to see is in that moment, Jesus realizes what has happened, and so he then comes at his disciples with seven piercing questions designed to shake them out of this familiarity that has bred contempt in their hearts towards him. So that's where we're going this morning, and let's look at the first one very intentionally here. First is, there is an urgent warning in verse 14 and 15 that falls on the deaf ears of Jesus' 12 disciples. Look at verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying... Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now let's set the scene and let's draw back to last week and the passages right before this. Jesus and his disciples have just left the Pharisees in their hostile unbelief on that shore. They demanded a sign from heaven to prove Jesus' authority for which he spoke, from which he spoke, and through which he acted And they needed to see before they would believe. And they argued with him. And it was their design to test our Messiah. And he got in the boat and left them right where they were. And there's some permanency in that language. Because he left them and never came back. Well, this morning we see... That after they've gotten in the boat and they leave this brood of vipers, as John the Baptist referred to them at one point, the disciples have a concern. (laughs) The disciples are deeply concerned about something. And look at what the text says. They only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. Oh, guys, come on. What are they concerned with? They're not concerned with the eternal state of these Pharisees that they just left on the shore. And by the way, the context of this passage is immediate. Verse 13, he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Verse 14, now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. We are still in the moment of Jesus leaving these Pharisees. And these 12 disciples are worried about bread. Food. These 12 disciples' focus is on their stomachs and not what just transpired. That had eternal implications on some souls of human beings made in the image of God. The disciples, it seems, are majoring on the minor and minoring on the major. They are focused on the here and now of their stomachs and not the eternity of the Pharisees. And in the midst of their concerns about bread, Jesus sees an opportunity to teach them. And he teaches them by warning them about leaven. What is leaven? Leaven is yeast. Yeast is the element within bread that makes bread puff up and expand and grow. You have 
unleavened bread, you have flat, crisp bread. You have leavened bread, you have large, fluffy loaves. Leaven is something very small that has a gigantic effect on what it's in. Leaven is something very, very small, even microscopic, and it takes just a little bit to have a massive effect on that in which it's embedded within. Paul says in Galatians 5.9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And oh, is that so true? Yes, in bread, and yes, in life, and in our hearts. Using leaven as a positive analogy of faith, Jesus says over in Luke chapter 13, verse 20, listen to this. He says, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. It's a very beautiful picture of Jesus teaching us that it takes just a little bit of faith. The kingdom of heaven requires a little bit of faith that's hidden within three measures of flour, that's hidden within a heart, and over time it will permeate that entire heart. It's that little bit of faith that that woman earlier in Mark had when she said, if I could just touch the corner of his robe, I would be made well. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It starts with just a little bit of faith in Jesus Christ. And it will overtake your whole heart. Have you had just a little bit of faith in him? Most of the time, however, that's the only positive use of leaven by Jesus. And it's the only positive use of leaven that I know of in the New Testament. I think I exhausted the text. But most of the time, the analogy of leaven in the Bible is used negatively to refer to sin. And corruption that happens within people. 1 Corinthians 5, starting in 6, Paul writes, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Sounds just like our Galatians passage. Then he says this, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Josh challenged us this morning as we begin this service. We're a pillar and buttress of the truth the church is. Rocky Point is. And may that be because we are unleavened with the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod that we will see here in just a moment. So in this text, this morning, Mark uses leaven as an analogy of unbelief. And it's the unbelief that we saw in the Pharisees who demanded a sign to authenticate the authority that Jesus Christ spoke and acted with. In Matthew, Matthew gives us this very same event, this very same historical event, gives it a little bit different perspective. Matthew writes in 1611, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Mark doesn't add the Sadducees. Mark says Herod. Same event though, different perspective. Matthew says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then he goes on to write, 
that then the disciples understood that he did not tell them to beware of leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So now we get some definition from Jesus and and the Lord as he inspired Matthew to write. The leaven that Jesus is referring to is the teaching of the Pharisees. I want you to know that this is not a time-bound issue that applies only to the year, what, 30 A.D. We must, even today, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We, too, today, if we are to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, must make certain that we are not leavened with false teaching. And it is all around us. It is everywhere in Christendom. Let me give you an example. At the discovery of quantum physics, some people decided to make Christianity apply to quantum physics, and they came up with a concept called quantum faith. Here's what quantum faith espouses. Your words are energy. And they affect the matter in your life. When you speak the words, this is the worst car I've ever had. You stupid piece of junk. You've said that? (laughs) Those words are vibrations of energy that affect the atoms that make up that car. If you speak those words long enough... Your car will obey you. I've got Jesus Christ quoted in this little pamphlet. And we laugh. But this has permeated the Christian culture. This little pamphlet says over 100,000 copies sold. And this is a dated pamphlet. And it's not the only one out of this genre of smut. How about this? We're studying finances, money, and possessions on Wednesday night. You will not hear this on Wednesday night from Randy Alcorn's book. When you believe that God loves you and wants you to prosper, then you change your words and beliefs about money. When financial challenges used used to come my way, I would fall into fear and begin to say things like, well, now we won't be able to pay off the car, the house, or whatever. The fear of speaking of it is an energy that affects your checking account and stops financial freedom. Now I have learned to think and believe and say, things always work out for me. Everything that I do prospers, and I have abundance in Jesus' name. God is not limited to things that you and I see. There is an infinite supply of substance waiting to manifest according to your words. And then last, things are responding to your words every day. So speak good things to all that surrounds your life. If you really believe Jesus' words, you will monitor your thoughts and conversations because you are the one giving substance to your world through your words. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees.
Sadducees. That is leaven. And a little bit of that in your heart will corrupt the entire soul that you carry. In Luke's account of this same event, he defines leaven as hypocrisy. Here's what he says in Luke 12.1. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, comma, which is hypocrisy. Christendom is full of hypocrisy. Churches right now meeting are loaded with hypocritical pastors and congregants. There are pastors who are abandoning the pure gospel, maybe for stuff like that, but they've abandoned the pure gospel. They've added something to Jesus. And usually it's something like this, morality. Here's what we do do, and here's what we don't do. And if we do these things and don't do those things, we will be saved. That is wrong. Christianity is, here's who we believe in. Here's who we put our faith in. Here's who did something for us that will save us. Namely, he died in our place on a cross. And more than that, he rose from the dead on the third day. That's what we believe in. That what Christ did and didn't do, by the way, and he did not sin. He is the moral agent and it's through faith in him that we are saved. Yet there are hypocrites throughout Christianity right now that have bought into a morality gospel and not a bloody cross and empty tomb gospel who find righteousness and salvation and sanctification in acts and thoughts and words. Skipping over the belief element that is required. The belief in the sign of Jonah, an empty tomb. And so they contradict their message and they are leaven to the church. When pastors are hypocrites, they leaven the entire lump. So what are we to take away from these examples of leaven that we have from Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Mark's leaven is this. Unbelief corrupts the whole heart. And those Pharisees were fully corrupted. And I would say also that if there is unbelief amongst us that goes unchecked, it could corrupt all of us. And so there is an individual perspective that we do not need to be leavened by unbelief. And then there's a corporate perspective where we as a church need to encourage one another as long as it's called today to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We do this together because we are all exposed to leaven and we keep one another. We are our brother's keeper. We are. Mark would, or Matthew would tell us that a little bit of false teaching corrupts the entire heart. You buy into a little bit of that right there. It could overtake your entire heart and you could be corrupted like those Pharisees. And Jesus could get into his boat and leave for the other side, never to return. And the same goes with the church. 
a little bit of false teaching creeps in through this pulpit, our Sunday school classrooms, the whole lump can become leavened with false teaching. And the same goes with hypocrisy. You need men of God leading you as elders, serving you as deacons and Sunday school teachers. We need, we need men of God raising families and married to wives and raising children so that not any amount of leaven enters into our hearts and into our families and into our congregation. And next thing you know, we're a country club that's going to hell in a handbasket. Jesus applies this leaven analogy to Pharisees, to Sadducees, and to Herodians. In Mark, he says the leaven of Herod as well. I think some manuscripts say Herodians. I think that probably is a better translation, but it includes Herod plus some Ians, some people that follow Herod. Well, let me break these down for you. The Pharisees are legalists. They have taken the Mosaic law and they've said, we don't want to violate those, and so let's make some extra laws that will make sure that we don't even get close to those laws. And they have found their righteousness and their salvation in all the extra laws. And they've heaped burdens on top of their people. And they've made a law system that no one can keep. We see these kinds of people in many pastors today who buy into the morality gospel and say, don't do these things and do do those things. That is a modern-day Pharisee. The second group is the Sadducees, and they are liberals. Now, it's kind of confusing. They're, they're conservative in that they only believe in the Mosaic Law. I like that. And that puts them at odds with the Pharisees, by the way. But they do not believe in miracles, and namely in the New Testament, we see that they do not believe in the resurrection of the dead, nor do they believe in eternal judgment in the end times. I think they think all dogs go to dirt or something. We've got modern examples. It's not real modern, but our, our beloved Thomas Jefferson was much a Sadducee because he did not believe in the miracles of the virgin birth. He did not believe in the resurrection from the dead, so much so that he cut those out of his Bible. You can go see this Bible in the Smithsonian Institute to this day. So Sadduceeism is not defunct. It's still alive and well even to this day. And there's plenty of people that do not believe in the miracle of the six-day creation, a virgin birth, resurrection from the dead. We still have Sadducees everywhere. The Herodians, they are secularists. The Herodians are people who, through a marriage to one of the Herods, became followers of, and, and they pledged allegiance to the Herodian dynasty. And they really didn't want the boat rocked. And they were enemies of Jesus because he could unsettle the Herodian dynasty because he's claiming to be king of kings. So these were, at that time, political activists who were engaged in Herodian politics. Well, we have these people in our midst today, especially as we ramp up into yet another political cycle, you're going to see Herodians everywhere. You're going to hear Christians set their Christianity aside and wax and wane eloquently over the political landscape of what's going on with all of our candidates. And when you hear them speak, there will be no salt of Christianity in the speech because they've segregated that out and that's over here. And I say to us, as we enter into a political season, beware of the leaven 
of the political system that we live in. We're going to be in it, but we're not going to be of it. It cannot come with inside of us. Or we can become conspiracy theorists and do all kinds of whacked out things. So Jesus says that there's something small within these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these Herodians. There's something small within them that has had a great effect on them. Negatively. Their souls have proven to be corrupted long before they encountered Jesus Christ. There was a leavening agent within them, and it was called, it is called, unbelief and a lack of faith. And this unbelief that Jesus looked at when he encountered them was the very unbelief that led to the most tremendous evil ever enacted on this earth. And that is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on a cross, on a hill, outside of the city of Jerusalem. That unbelief, that leaven, led to the murder of God with us. And Jesus saw it inside deeply. We must beware of each of these. We must beware of legalism. We must be aware of biblical liberalism. And we must certainly beware of secularism. We must not let the secular world corrupt us from the inside out. And just a little bit of that world in our heart can leaven and corrupt our entire heart. So Jesus here sees this issue as urgent, so much so that the text says he gives us a double warning. He says, watch out, beware of the leaven. We, we get a double warning here. When you see watch out, beware, you need to pause and circle both of those and say, this is serious. This is serious. Jesus had a real good economy with words. He did not waste words. And when he says two warnings, we need to clue in and say, this is a big deal. We get double warning also from Peter over in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Listen to all the warnings there. That applies to what Jesus says here to the disciples and to us. Watch out. Beware. If we hold on to the unbelief of any small degree, we can be devoured and corrupted greatly. If we allow anything to influence us to believe mistruths, we can be devoured by this roaring lion who's prowling around seeking you to devour. If we frequent company that is immoral, that is unbelieving, that is embracing false teaching, we can be greatly corrupted. 1 Corinthians 10.13 or 10.33 Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's hanging down there in our gym. Be warned every time you see it. 
It does not mean that we isolate from the culture. It means that we must not be deceived and we must say, I am in bad company right now. I need to be evangelistic in this moment and I need to leaven them with the gospel. But they cannot leaven me with secularism or false teaching or hypocrisy. There's leavening that needs to happen and it needs to be that leavening like Jesus said the kingdom of heaven was. A woman who hides just a little in three measures of flour. And the whole bit of it becomes leavened. This is a warning for us this morning. This is a dire warning that we not be leavened by the things that contradict our scriptures. Well, let's look at the response. That's point one. Now we're going to turn a corner and we're going to go to point two. But look at their response in verse 16. All of this has taken place. And what do we read? And they begin discussing with one another the fact that, I think they're going to talk about leaven. (laughs) I think they're going to talk about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or Herodians. No. The fact that they had no bread. It's amazing. They didn't even hear Jesus' warning. They forgot to bring enough bread. They only had one loaf. Jesus warns them about leaven. And they go back to concerning themselves with the need for bread. Just picture this scene for a moment. They look up to Jesus in his warning. Maybe they freeze and they stare off across the lake. Then they get back to saying, we have no bread, guys. The text says, and they began discussing with one another. So they they spent some time on this. (laughs) They spent some time. Can you imagine what that discussion must have been like? I don't know, but I'm sensing Peter saying, Andrew, I told you to bring bread for all of us. I know, Peter, but I thought you said bring a bed for all of us. I brought blankets and no bread. We're hungry. Can you imagine this conversation? And their God is in a boat with them listening to this. Wow. Verse 17, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, and oh my, does he speak boldly and clearly. What we see in this text, most of this paragraph in your Bible, is devoted to seven questions. Sometimes we read scripture and go, ta-da, 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 ta-da. No, read this. Jesus is asking his disciples seven questions. And I hope that you will, after this service this morning, feel the weight of these questions. Jesus is frustrated with these men. This is one of the peak moments of frustration in Jesus' life with the disciples. I I think the biggest one is in just a few pages or a page over in in chapter 9 when Jesus says, or actually it's still in chapter 8, when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's a pretty high level of frustration. I think he's also frustrated down in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that he's betrayed when Peter, James, And John fall asleep while he's praying. And he comes back to them and says, you're sleeping? 
You need to pray that you don't fall into temptation. This is an urgent moment that you need to be praying with me. So there's some moments where Jesus is very frustrated with his disciples. This is one of them. And Jesus here repeatedly appeals to their hearts with seven sharp and convicting questions. Listen to them. And imagine what this must have gone down like. He says, 17, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Now, in that moment, I imagine some disciples stopping the discussion and looking up at Jesus. And then he says, do you not perceive? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Now, maybe they start looking out the corner of their eyes at each other. What's he talking about? Are your hearts hardened? Uh Uh-oh. Now I think their eyes drop. And they don't look at Jesus in this moment. Verse 18. Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? If I'm one of these twelve, I'm now going, I can't wait till this is over. (laughs) This is not trending well. And he goes on, and do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, I think in a whisper, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? They've got to be cut to the heart. Be careful, the text doesn't say that. But let's let's use our minds and our human condition to identify with these 12 apostles that are no different than you and me. Cut to the heart when their Lord says after this, the seventh question... Do you still not yet understand? Here's the point. I opened with this. Familiarity breeds contempt. They have been exposed over and over and over again to Jesus' teaching and his works. This Jesus has calmed storms on the Sea of Galilee. He's made deaf people hear, blind people see, dead people live, demons, demonically possessed people be freed. They're in a boat, they have one loaf, and they're worried about having enough food to eat. They have the ultimate bread maker in the boat with them. He just told them, how many loaves did you have left over? How many baskets did you have left over? But they are so familiar with Jesus that they no longer in that moment hold him with high regard and reverence and worship. And they're worried about their stomachs. 
when they just saw people's eternity determined once and for all. What a tragedy. What a tragedy for them. What a tragedy for us today if it be true of us that our heads might be full of Jesus, but our hearts are empty of him. And I'm going to tell you, this hard heart concept that Jesus talks about, when people are ignorant of Jesus Christ, meaning they don't know of him, they can't have a hard heart. A hard heart is a heart that was soft at one time that got hardened. That is you and me. We have a lot of knowledge about Jesus Christ. We do a lot of teaching in this church from this pulpit, in Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, Sunday school classes. We've got guys meeting in coffee shops. We're in this a lot, and we should not change that. But we need to beware, because familiarity can breed contempt. And we can become academic in our understanding of Jesus Christ, and it never penetrate our heart. May that not be said of us. Beware of the leaven of the academicians who say there's value in having knowledge. I'm going to tell you, Christianity finds value in where there is knowledge and knowledge that follows in obedience. Failure to hear and obey the words of Christ in our lives will desensitize us toward Him. If you hear it here, you don't take it down into here and you don't obey what you hear, you will become desensitized to Jesus Christ. And this is especially true, probably more true for me, because I work in this book for a living. I'm in this book hours a day. And I am in danger of becoming academic and knowing what our Lord says, but not doing what our Lord says. And if that's true for me, oh, I promise you, that's true for you. And I've been called by God this morning to warn us of this. He is the bread of life. We only need to take and eat of him and believe in Him. And we don't need the things of this world like another loaf or two of bread in some boat. We need Jesus Christ. Crucified, buried, and resurrected. And I'm going to tell you, we need every one of us in this room to gather together often and to say to one another, beware of the leaven of the world. This is why we are called to gather together as the body of Christ and to not forsake the assembly. So when we gather, let's warn each other. Whether we see signs or not, let's be careful of the leaven of the secularist world that we live in. Let's be wary of the leaven of legalism, liberalism. Let's be biblical Christians. And in so doing, let's hear and believe and do as a result. Jesus says, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them 
will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man that built his house on the sand. We've got to hear and we've got to do. We don't do first. We hear and that informs our doing. And we do because of our Lord who said. And incidentally, words have power? Yes, Jesus Christ's words have power. Jesus Christ's words affect the things around us. And so we believe in those words. We don't speak our own to matter. Hmm. 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 Jesus says, John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't see if you love me, you'll think about me. You will keep, you will do what I say. And he goes on later to say, and what I say will be good for you. It's not a burden. It's good for you. Love me and do what I say. And all will be glorious forever and ever. So our proximity to Jesus must result in understanding, which must grow into faith, which must transition into obedience, which will result in eternal life. That's Christianity. Proximity to Jesus. We're with Him often in prayer and in the Word. And our knowledge grows. And as that knowledge grows, belief happens. And as belief happens, we do what we believe in. And when we do that, welcome to eternal life. Is that you? This morning? Or is there a block from here to here? You got a roadblock right here? I pray that this morning you will be shaken loose. You will dis- discover this barrier and you'll eradicate it so that the knowledge of Jesus Christ will penetrate your heart. And the obedience of what he says, obedience to what he says, will define your waking moments. Until he comes again or he calls you home. Otherwise, you will be leavened. I will be leavened. We'll be like the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Herodians. Or worse yet, we could be Judas Iscariot. He had proximity to Jesus, but it never got to his heart. So, this morning the disciples were anxious about their lack of bread. And Jesus was frustrated about their lack of faith. Are you so familiar with Jesus that you don't worship him? Jesus would say to you this morning, if that is your case, do you not yet perceive or understand? Is your heart hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And he would then chase it with, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Sin, uh, a little bit of leaven goes a long, long way. Are you leavened with legalism or liberalism or secularism? Jesus says, watch out. Beware. Be leavened with belief and faith and rise 
to your eternal calling. So this morning, I'm going to say that Christianity is a use-it-or-lose-it reality. You can't have Christianity and not use it, not obey Christ and deploy it. And our faith must be applied in worshipful obedience to our Savior, lest we become way too familiar with Him and we hold Him in contempt. And may that never be said of any of us or our church. Father, I have brought your warning to us. And I pray that your people will receive this with soft hearts. I pray that everybody within earshot of this message will leave here with an understanding that all we need is the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And that we need what He did not do. He did not sin. And we need what He did do. Yet He died and rose and ascended. And we need what He will do. He will come again, as you have promised. And I say, come, Lord Jesus. But if you wait, would you protect us from the leaven of the world that we live in? I pray all this in the strong, sufficient name of Jesus Christ. Amen.